Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Samuel, The Making of the Monarchy, a volume of the Korintanach of the Land of Israel, offers an innovative and refreshing approach to the Hebrew Bible. By fusing extraordinary findings by modern scholars on the ancient Near East with the original Hebrew text and a brand new English translation, the Korintanach of the Land of Israel clarifies and explains the biblical narrative, laws, events, and prophecies in context with the milieu in which it took place. It features stunning visuals of ancient civilizations, including artifacts, archaeological excavations, inscriptions, and maps, along with brief articles on ancient Near Eastern culture, geography, biblical botany, language, and more. Join us as we talk to David Arnovitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel. You're listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm Michael Morales, your host. David, welcome to New Books and Jewish Studies. Welcome. Pleasure to be here. Before we get to our featured book, please tell us a little bit about yourself, David. I came from a completely different background. This is really uh, maybe my fifth career. I started out in high tech and computer security and was involved in creating the first bank on the Internet back when the Internet was not safe for any money, much less banking. And that was in the 90s. Um, that was very successful, and after a couple of exits, I moved to Israel with my family, which is five children from the ages of 12 to 1 at the time in 1999, and since then, I've taken the tour guide class. I've helped establish Israel's first liberal arts college, Shalem College. I worked with our crowd, helping that investment company get off the ground, and then I kind of turned to my best friend, Matthew Miller in Israel who owns Corn Publishers, who said we wanted to do this series. So I kind of have all the little pieces that are needed for a project like this, the management, the love of the land of Israel, the love of the Bible, and an organized person. And so I thought I'd give it a try, and I've been at it for about five years. So David, talk to us about this new series, The Corn Tanakh of the Land of Israel. What's the concept behind these volumes? The concept is based on a Talmudic expression which translates to the Torah speaks in the language of men. And Matthew and I, when we were discussing the series, realized that to understand the the Bible, which I'll call the Tanakh during our, our discussion, um, was given at a certain time period. And most of what we know about it is based on commentators that were much later than the events in the Tanakh actually happened. So in order to understand really what's going on in the stories and the text and the, and the milieu in which it happened, you have to understand the, the, the period of time. And we know so much more about it now than we did when the main commentators, for example, the main Jewish commentator is, is named Rashi. He lived around 1100. He didn't have access to the archaeology and to the scholarship and to the, all the Assyriology and Egypt and everything we know from the last 200 years of, of research and, and academic work. So the, the purpose of the series is to kind of open up the text of the Bible by basically throwing away everything 
you thought about it before because it was based on much later commentary and understand the, the Tanakh in context and understand what a revolution it was over the time in which it happened and in, in, in the cultures that were surrounding it at the time. Let me say, this volume on Samuel with the Koran Tanakh of the Land of Israel is stunningly presented, beautifully illustrated, with color maps, paintings, archaeological artifacts, charts, and tables. And as you mentioned, it contains articles on language, geography, archaeology, the Near East, and more. I cannot imagine what was it like as editor-in-chief to draw all of these components together into one artfully formatted publication. And I want to know, how long did this one volume take from initial concept to printing? And how many people were involved from translators, rabbinic advisors, academics, graphic designers, etc.? So the idea was born about five years ago, and we realized we wanted to do the entire Bible, the entire Hebrew Bible. And so in order to do that, we wanted to create something that was visually so pleasing. A lot of Koran books are for a person who's seriously studying the text, and they want to read the text, and then maybe on the side they'll figure out something that's interesting that that they'll want to look at on the side. This is a whole different concept. This is basically a coffee table book that's almost like a National Geographic Bible that you're going to sit on your coffee table, look through, and be visually drawn into the text from the outside. So it's an outside-in approach rather than an inside-out. So in order to kind of develop the concept, we went through a series of prototypes in the design and tried to understand, number one, how to get the material written from different scholars, and then what's it going to look like on the page, and then what's the whole process like to from, from taking the material, editing, um, trying to compare it against what's relevant and, and right for scholarship and what's okay for Corin to publish as a Jewish Orthodox publishing house. So really it took about two and a half years in order to get the Exodus volume out because we were just kind of making it up as we go along. It was the last things we had to learn. Once we got the, the system down and running, um, Samuel took a little bit over a year to put out. And we're hoping to put every volume out in, in about a year. Um, what the, the Exodus volume came out in February of last year. This volume came out basically now, I think late May, early June of this year. Um, we're well into the next volume, which is going to be Leviticus and Numbers. But to answer the other question about how it was, what it was like to, to gather the set of staff that in order to put this thing together, you really have to look at each book and what is the interesting topics in scholarship for the book. So, for example, Exodus was more Egypt and the comparison of the story of the Exodus in ancient Egypt and the New Kingdom. Then you switch over to um, the splitting of the Red Sea and then the law code that comes after the Ten Commandments. And then in the back is a bunch of stuff about the tabernacle. That's a completely different story than Samuel. So, so you have to gather this first to find the topics, gather the set of experts, and then kind of start the process of creating the articles and then finding the accompanying visuals. Thinking more deeply about the book of Samuel itself, what is the message or one of the major themes of Samuel? Well, Samuel was completely different than, than Exodus. And um, Exodus, we're hoping nobody knows that the Koran Tanakh of the land of Israel, the first volume came out in a book that didn't have anything to do with the land of Israel. So when we switch to Samuel, it becomes a completely different story because now 
we actually have archaeological evidence from the time. There's a huge set of controversies in amongst archaeologists about what actually happened at the time of Samuel. What actually um, do we know about what what is in the ground about Samuel in archaeology? But the main themes are are the, the really the political transition from the messed up world of the judges to the monarchy or the ideal monarchy under David and Solomon. That whole that whole process happened during the book of Samuel. So everything that had to do with creating the United Kingdom and, and how that developed over the course of the transition from Samuel to Saul to David, the very end to, to Solomon and the building of the temple, that's kind of the theme that carries us through the book. The book of Samuel closes with David building an altar on the future site of Solomon's temple, where the ark would eventually rest. One scholar said you can trace the narrative of Samuel by keeping your eye on the ark. Does that ring true in your reading? So that goes to an area that we're really trying to not deal with. We, we are specifically not writing a commentary. We're not trying to either take literary themes through the entire book. Um, we're not trying to do any kind of textual analysis. We're not trying to say, well, this is what it says, but this is what it really means. None of that is, is, our, is, our, um, is, is what we're trying to accomplish here. What we're trying to do is, is give background. And so um, what's more interesting really is to say, well, well, what do we know about the time of King David? Was there any archeology span from then? When it says that the, there was no um, Smith in Israel, what does that mean? Is it bronze and it's an iron? What's going on at the time? Um, when it says a certain kind of implement, what, what was that used for at the time? So you can understand the, really what the text is, is saying rather than what it means, because that, 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 once we get into commentary, it's, it's, there, there are a lot of people a lot smarter than me that can do that, and that's not the purpose of this, this series. One of the archaeological articles I appreciated was on the Philistines. Why is that topic so relevant for the book of Samuel? Well, the Philistines were the main enemy of the Israelites at the time. And it turns out that there's been so much work been done at Philistine sites in Israel. The Probably the primary Philistine archaeologist that has been working in this area for the last 25 years lives in my neighborhood here in Jerusalem. He wrote the introductory article on the Philistines. His name is Aaron Mayer. The, um, Goliath lived in Gat. He's you know, Goliath the Gittite. And Gat is an archaeological site that's um, probably an hour drive from my house. And they've been, Aaron Mayer has been digging there for 25 years. So, so what do we know about the Philistines based on what's come out of the ground? And um, we actually know quite a bit. And so when you try and match up what we know from archaeology or we can determine from archaeology and what it says in the actual text, it really helps understand what's going on in the story. Does any other archaeology section come to mind that helps illumine the story of Samuel? Well, if you have an hour and a half, I can <laughs> answer that question. But um, I guess a couple of the two, two high points is it talks about David conquering Edom. And there's been Edom, I guess, is, is how you pronounce it. And so a lot of people were saying for years and years that Edom really didn't exist. It turns out that there's another archaeologist at Tel Aviv University who also wrote for the book named Erez Ben Yosef. 
who's digging in south of the Dead Sea in a couple of sites um, that were copper mines that were active at the time that King David would have lived. For a while, they said there's no archaeology for Edom, so there must not have been an Edom. It just must be something that was written by a later author and it was put in the text later because that's just what they did and that's how they built, that's how they wrote the Bible. But it, but it turns out that there was a very sophisticated um, operation in that area. There's one called Kherbet Fenan. And um, what happened was that they were able to create a very sophisticated technology, but they were a nomadic society. And so it, it turns out that archaeology usually thought that if there was stone, then there was a country. But if it was a nomadic country, they didn't leave any remains. But because we have the mines of the copper, we understand that at the time there was a society, there was a polity that could build something like that. So this was just in the last 10, 15 years that this has been discovered. But because now we know that there was an Edom, we don't, we don't have any cities of Edom because they lived in tents, basically. But they had this, this factory that, or these factories that created copper. And so that helps us understand what the Edomites were and how powerful they were at the time. They controlled the copper trade at the time, which is a huge thing. Um, and that also helps us understand the beginnings of the Israelites because they came in from Egypt and they lived in tents. There wasn't a lot of archaeology. There's some from the beginning part when they first came into the land from, from before David. But, but this changed the way you look at a nomadic society and what you can learn about it or not, or what you can't learn about it from archaeology. Reading Samuel, it always seemed to me that the text goes out of its way to exonerate David from some of the misdeeds of his entourage, namely Joab the henchman. In one of the Near East articles on royal apologetics, it helps to explain this feature. Would you review that with us? Well, the Bible doesn't mince any words, and nobody's perfect in the Bible. Everybody's got faults. And so that's another thing that probably sets the Bible up apart from other hero literature. But David had huge sins. Once he sinned with Bathsheba, everything was pretty much downhill for the rest of the book. And he, and he, and he barely gets it out, although in, in Jewish Later thought and rabbinic thought, David's the ultimate ruler. Nobody's like David. He's the, he's complete. He's completely righteous. But if you read the text, of course, he's he's done all kinds of bad stuff and, and the Absalom rebellion and and all the problems he had with all his kids and the fact that God doesn't let him build the temple. He has to wait till the son builds it. You can see throughout the the whole story that that it's showing that that yes, we did build the ideal polity under David, because after Solomon, it completely fell apart. But nobody's perfect. And you have to kind of, the Bible's always telling you, what, what's the tension between power and righteousness, and how much that can affect, how much that can affect you. And it shows that, that, that even a sinful person creates create something important, but nobody's not sinful. So David, you already mentioned that a volume on Leviticus and Numbers is next. Can we hear about further volumes on the schedule? Um, well, we've gotten funding for Genesis, and that's going to be a huge challenge because it's very far back in time, and there's very little. Uh, well, there's, there's much less coming out of the ground um, that they can they can discuss that. We're also looking at Jeremiah. We were we're looking at a 13 volume series altogether, and we're going to organize some of the later volumes by um, period as opposed to the traditional ordering so that we can do the background for all the books at the same time. 
But I think that um, the, ne- the next couple will be Jeremiah limitations after, after Genesis. But we'll have to see. It looks like I'll finish Samuel sometime into this year, beginning of next year, and then, then we'll roll on to the next one. We can't really keep, get two going at the same time. That would be too much. David, it's been fantastic spending time with you and hearing about Samuel, the making of the monarchy, and the Korintanach of the land of Israel. Thank you for joining us. Been a pleasure. Bye. Friends, you've been listening to New Books in Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Until next time, goodbye.